Good afternoon and welcome to the Sitka Nature Show. This is your host, Matt. I want to thank you for joining me here in the last weekend of September 2021. We're just a few days past the fall equinox and well into the fall season here. Climatically, it seems like to me, we've now seen snow down on the mountains to around 3,000 feet, although it raised back up again in subsequent days, a series of fall-like storms moving through over the past week. A couple of weeks ago, there was a rough that showed up, only the second one that's ever shown up in Sitka. It's an Asian shorebird. It was down at the park here at on the beach for about a day and a half, and several folks were able to see it. Uh, it is a time of year when unusual things can show up, and I'd love to hear about it. If you're seeing any out there, please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. The conversation I have for this week's show is one I recorded a couple of days ago with Simon Hook. He's a returning guest for the show. I always enjoy talking with him about his experiences. He's worked as a naturalist on a number of different ships over the years around southeast Alaska and just finished up another season earlier this month. We'll go ahead and join the conversation with him, talking a little bit about some of the experiences he had observing bears this past summer. Yeah, I got to spend quite a bit of time with bears this summer. Yeah, um, opportunities at uh, Ann and Bear and uh, at the at the hatchery at Hidden Falls, as well as you know, kind of out in Glacier Bay as well. And so I got to spend a little more time watching and observing, and kind of observing some really kind of neat behavior, some things I'd never really experienced before. One of which being, you know, there was a sow that had three cubs at Hidden Falls, and uh, one of them was a little runt, cute little things like first spring spring cubs, and this one little cub. I wasn't there when it happened, but uh, the one little cub got killed uh, by an aggressive female, from what I heard. Hmm. Um, so not necessarily a male. As, as Yeah, you usually hear about the males coming after the cubs. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what the deal was, but uh, so I, I saw her with three cubs, and I saw her with two cubs. And so when she was with her two cubs, she was much more wary. And so she wasn't fishing. She was just being kind of uh, strange and standoffish. And then um, there was another bear that was fishing relatively close to her. I don't know if they're related or what, but um, that mother was very submissive to that female and and would slowly, like a cub would, slowly take the fish away from her. And the other female let her do that. I, mean, I don't know if it's if mm. it's like a, a sympathy thing or something like that, but I've never, I've never seen that before. Um, I mean, if it was, if the, the other bear was, was this, uh, was the mother's mother, um, that might be something, but if they're unrelated, I think that's fairly strange. Um, and it happened more than once while we were watching. Hmm. Um, to observe that, most bears are a lot more protective of their food. Um, I guess when they're in um, at a, a certain point where there's fish everywhere, it doesn't really matter. But uh, you know, it was it was really kind of a strange thing to experience. And uh, yeah, yeah, I I don't remember ever hearing about, not that I, by any means, I'm an expert or have read all the literature or anything, but I don't remember hearing about sort of multi-generational, you know, relationships essentially ongoing sure. uh, as adults. Yeah. Um, once the the cubs leave, they, it seems like they're generally considered independent. And there's a high mortality rate, of course, for, for oh, young sure. birds, as there is for many animals. Right. Uh, but... That is interesting, kind of suggestive that, well, maybe maybe sometimes there are. I mean, we, we most of us have, you know, at best, tiny little snippets of, of windows into their into their lives. I know some people spend a lot more time, but even there is probably a lot that's, I mean, we just don't necessarily know what the bear experience is, let alone even if we could watch it all the time. So. Sure. But it is intriguing. Uh, I wonder if other folks have 
observed similar behavior over the years. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, but it was really unique. Yeah. And to have two big bears, you know, and one, you know, kind of stealing a fish the same way a cub would. Very submissive, kind of, you know, head down and, and kind of just kind of, can I, can I have this? Can I have this, please? Mm-hmm. And, and, and kind of coaxing it out of the other female. And, um, did she in turn share it with her cubs or? Oh, uh, she did. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't, I don't know if it was a sympathy fish or, or, uh, what have yeah. you. Um, yeah. you know, I, Hey, sorry about losing your cub. Here's a fish. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that was a really kind of unique situation where I just kind of observing behaviors and that was neat to see. And I started to understand more about how to identify the genders of, uh, of the two bears. And, and at that point you could say, well, you start looking around at Hidden Falls almost every single one of those bears is female. And so females tend to use uh, sometimes human presence as a bit of a buffer for large males um, in order to protect their cubs. Same thing at campsites, things like that, Stargavin. Um, and that's something that, that bears have recognized. Um, when uh, you s- start to talk about, you know, perhaps a cub getting killed by another bear, usually it's a male bear that does that, from what I understand. Um, yeah. And so... Um, yeah, it's kind of a typical thing. Boars don't like people uh, really at all. And they're a lot more kind of, eh, they're, they're very um, kind of shy people. Yeah. And uh, they tend to, to kind of, um, I don't like this situation. I'm going to exit. Farewell. Um, unless they've been habituated. And then at that point, they kind of um, keep doing what they're doing so long as they're not threatened. Yeah. Well, I remember yeah. one year, a few years ago, there was a lot of bear activity in Stargavin. And um, I think, Maybe it was Phil Mooney or somebody uh, said that there there was a, a big dominant male in Catlian Valley mm-hmm. that um, he figured that there was more activity in Stargavin because they were pushed out essentially of Catlian by a grumpy old boar. Sure, no, <laughs> that, that, that sounds pretty accurate. Essentially, yeah. real, real territory. And it's interesting. I was just talking to somebody the other day who uh, my son's run into. He says he's up to eighteen bears this this year uh, that he's seen. I mean they. Over multiple days, so there could have been, uh, you know, over uh, your repeat bears over multiple days, but mm-hmm. uh, no repeats within the same day, just along Indian River primarily. Sure. Uh, and he he no- noticed they were there early in the morning, which no surprise. But the fact where the flume splits off is kind of that rock wall there. Uh, they were just downstream of that often, and mm-hmm. in there, and they actually saw one fishing in the river just below the road bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my dad did, uh, kind of around first light, and and I was talking to somebody else who went and they kind of parked where they could see the river where the rock dam was, and just scoped with binoculars, and just before sunset, like in the half hour, or so so before half hour, hour before sunset, and we're seeing bears. And mind you, this is really pretty close to some residential area. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, you see all the you know there are bears uh, that are frequently reported getting into yards and stuff uh, from that area as well. But he saw five different bears just in one evening, you know, and so. And he said the the last bear that he saw was the big male, and everybody else kind of cleared out. But he didn't come in until it was just getting dark, like it was the last light there, yeah. and it's just like kind of moved in. And I'd, I'd heard that pattern before that the the young bears and the females, especially females with cubs, would make use of the daylight hours and the, and the times when people are around, like you're saying, as as kind of because that's when the males are going to be avoiding that, so they they have opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise. Uh, and then they need to clear out because the males can be a little bit grumpy, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Or more, more territorial. Yeah. This is my spot. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. 
and have the the strength and and uh, ability and willingness, I guess, to back that up with some some aggression. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, no, they have that. Yeah, they got the muscle involved too. So, Anna, and, uh, you know, I've heard about that as being one of the sort of premier. It's the Southeast Alaska kind of, it's not McNeil River, but it's sure. like, it's sort of what Southeast Alaska has. And am I remembering correctly that there's both black and brown bears there? It's on the mainland? It is, yeah. And so it's, uh, we usually started off in Wrangell and took a jet boat tour um, with one of the outfitters there and um, went, uh, it's all the way kind of down to the end of the island and then on the mainland. Yeah. And so there's a Forest Service cabin there for rent. And then um, it's, uh, you know, a little over a half mile walk in. And uh, we usually had guards, you know, and uh, it was kind of a really a beautiful little stroll through there. And you get to the bear viewing platform and they kind of, it's more like a shark cage sort yeah. of thing where they lock you in and not, you know, and not the bears, which is, you know, it allows them to be bears and it doesn't take away their wildness. You know, we, it just makes sure that people don't, uh, people behave properly yeah. in order for them to do what they do. Yeah. Yeah. And so... um yeah, mostly black bears there um, oh, okay. on the mainland. And yeah. so uh, the brown bears are usually a little further um, away from the platform itself. Um, not that they don't, you know, kind of cruise by every once in a while, but mostly black bears. And uh, that particular place, you know, black bears are a little more kind of uh, a little more secretive, I guess. You know, less likely to stand their ground if if met uh, on a trail or th- something like that. So our, our brown bears are a little more... Um, you know, the, the personal space is larger and they require a little more, uh, a little more room usually, whereas black bears will tend to be, you know, fishing near each other, um, you know, in, in fairly close proximity. And that particular place has these beautiful caves that, uh, you know, brown bears or black, black bears will pop out of, you know, they'll just, mm. you'll be sitting there watching the rocks and, and the, and the stream there and, uh, you know, there'll be fish in there and, and uh, a bear will pop its head out and grab a fish and then uh and then stick its head back in pull pull the fish back in the hole and go go eat it so i'm sure there are uh guts and and oh, geez, all kinds yeah. of stuff in that in those <laughs> caves i mean uh powerful so, smells oh yeah oh yeah. it's it's pretty rich um but the you know when the when the river is is running well and the fish are running well the the bears are, are abundant there and there was one day we saw i think it was 18 different black bears in one day wow um so they'd flow through and they're all a little different uh, juvenile south with cubs um some larger males would kind of push the other bears around but you know they would come up around and, and go down the stream and come back around and and go around the other way and so there's plenty of fish for everybody and um you know had a great time going there this season um mm. it's a it's a beautiful place it's a natural setting and so you don't really have to worry about too much like um you know trying to edit out you know weird um Oh, and human-made yeah. things and photos or something like that. And so Utility it's, poles. Yeah, and, exactly, yeah. that kind of thing. Or the fish shoot in Hidden Falls or something yeah. like that or, yeah. or what have you. Um, you know, and so it's, uh, it's a really nice, nice, neat, natural place. And then there's a photo blind. So the platform up above and you, you sign up for uh, 15 minutes at a time to go down to the photo blind. And you're right there um, probably um, with this past season, you know, 10 feet from a black bear. And, you know, the black bear will put its nose up and it says, I know you're there, but it can't see you because you're in the photo blind. And so you zip open these little squares and you put your camera out there and you photograph the bears and have a good time and then swap out for the next person. You know, mm. it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and a neat um, situation that is, uh, is great bear viewing. So do they have people there? I guess, I mean, I don't know when the 
fish start running uh, there, but also I'm uh, given the way that it's structured, I'm imagining that they have for service employee or somebody that's there seasonally that that is helping to coordinate and and monitor the the humans absolutely really. and yes. and presumably paying attention to the bears but mm-hmm. the bigger issue being the human behavior i'm sure yeah there's uh there's one on the platform there's one at the very beginning in this little hut um that does kind of a, a briefing to get you started and then one uh to swap out um and so they do rotations and all that stuff and and they're always observing the bears there's certain behaviors that bears are allowed to do and, and certain behaviors bears are not allowed to do. And it's not uncommon for bears to come right up to the railing. And uh, there's a there's a red line, you know, that they say for humans, okay, step back humans, allow the bears to be bears. And, uh, and, and you're supposed to step back behind that line. At least you want to give them lots of space to just, you know, do what they do. And that allows you to observe their natural behavior as opposed to, you know, changing their behaviors and, and, you know, having them run off and they feel threatened and something like that. So you step back and they're able to do what they want to do. And there's a forest service manager there um, to observe that. Do you know how long that uh, site has been operating in this way? I don't. It's been, it's been quite some time. Um, And so, you know, they're, they're just rebuilding the trail now. And so it's probably 15, 20 years or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so it's been um, pretty popular um, just generally, it's a good place to go see bears, really, um, in a natural habitat. I don't know the timing of that, no. Yeah, it seems like, uh, I mean, I just have heard about it for some years, and I thought, well, I wonder, I mean, I imagine some folks have, I, I mean, I imagine the people that work there are, are more seasonal and probably haven't been there for, like, decades or anything like that, but uh, they have, I mean, even in a season or two, I imagine just an immense experience of, of like, wow. But it would be interesting to find out, you know, how often they're surprised by, wow, I've never seen that before sure. sort of things. Yeah. Uh, with that, with the kind of opportunity that they have there to observe. Sure. Yeah. I mean, those those folks see a lot, you know, those outfitters that, that work there see mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And so, I mean, they'd be less likely to be surprised, I would think. They've been, most of them have been doing it for years. Yeah. And, right. I suppose, yeah, especially the outfitters yeah. that are bringing, to bringing the folks there as opposed to the... The Forest Service folks I tend to think of as probably being more seasonal, but I don't know. Maybe they're maybe, or temporary, you know, shorter term. But maybe they yeah. have been there for years. Some of them, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's it is always fascinating to talk to people who have the have had the opportunity, you know, just through the work that they've done or the experiences that they've they've chosen for themselves uh, to to get that kind of experience, long term experience, and see. You know, my experience is that that they're, you know, I don't focus on bears specifically, mm-hmm. typically myself. Uh, if I, I, I just do not run into them, generally speaking. So it's sure. not like I'm out looking for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> just, uh, you know, I, I don't mind a, a peaceful encounter, but uh, no encounter is often the best encounter, as best I can tell. So, sure. Uh, so I, but just, you know, in my natural history interests, it's not unusual to, you know, discover things that I never knew I didn't even know. And so, sure. you know, animals and animal behavior, people are weird. So I think I suspect animals are weird too. And, and <laughs> having, having all sorts of sort of like you were describing this, this uh, interaction with the fish, fish sharing or begging or, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, Clearly, was some sort of sharing happening, uh, sure. you know, through a process. Otherwise, the fish wouldn't have 
I guess they weren't changing hands exactly, but the changing mouths. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so it is it is interesting to just you know have that experience and then be surprised sometimes and uh, you know find out okay what's surprising surprising this year. And I guess for you, you know, this is what how many summers have you spent in Southeast Alaska doing sort of. Uh, I mean, I guess well, 2020 was a yeah. little different. You spent it out in the field, but doing different sorts of stuff. But sure. still, um, you've been out there for quite a few years so now. Over, over 10 years now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing that, that each year you, you're finding like, oh, that's, that's new. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, there's, there was always something, you know. Yeah. It's, and so I've heard stories um, about the Indian Islands and sea otters. And uh, I've, I finally got to photograph uh, sea otters eating basket stars. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, because basket stars are typically found, you know, in excess of 100 feet. And, uh, you know, in that place, there's enough high flow that it allows basket, basket stars just kind of are there in, in relative abundance. And uh, and the otters will go down and, and pull them up and bite the legs off and throw them back in. And wow. I assume it's kind of like I wonder, this. do they grow back they, there? I would, I would think they do. I started thinking about this process. Yeah. It's kind of like the wolverine thing. I'm sure it hurts. Um, well, I mean, like starfish can regrow legs and sure. stuff. So, I, so long I as know. most of the central disc is there, I think yeah. over half or something like that, it'll regrow. Yeah, I never thought of I even mean, basket stars. I think are in the same broader group, aren't they? Sure. Are they part of the yeah the uh, echinoderms. So. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, I never realized that they just eat the the legs and throw back the. Yeah. back the middle it was funny to watch and i was like what? yeah and then you photograph it and it's kind of like you get to look at it really closely and observe it and it's like oh that's exactly what they're doing yeah they bite the legs off and throw them back and then they they're slowly farming, regrow i yeah. guess yeah it is. it's regenerative <laughs> it's sustainable a mean version of harvest <laughs> you know yeah and uh yeah so that was that was one of those you know you got to, got the chance to see it and um you know, with, at looking at, at kind of other uh, sort of things that, that uh, kind of happened throughout the season, um, one of those is uh, we had the opportunity to go out in a lot in uh, open ocean. Mm. Uh, a lot of tour companies don't go outside the Inside Passage in Southeast because um, there's a big ocean out there. And uh, I was on uh, kind of a small small ship, uh, 12 passengers maximum, and uh, it was an opportunity to get out and, and really see some of these beautiful places. Um, and uh, never been to Pelican before, and uh, so transiting from Sitka to Pelican, you go os- across, uh, you know, West Chichagoff, and, uh, spend and you're probably it- not taking Peel's Passage in that boat. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> Squeaking on through there, yeah. um, and uh, you know, we went out and the ocean, ocean, and um, you know, we're just kind of out there doing the thing. And one time we were headed back, and so we saw a couple whales and, and, and things like that, and they were we were satisfied. Um, with the the viewing quality and the observation and the behaviors that we saw. Um, but then we got out there and there was probably uh, easily 150 whales out there. Wow. And they were feeding on, on these kind of masses of fish. You could see them boiling at the surface. And it was just this really, it was one of those spectacles. You come to Southeast and, and sometimes you see that, that kind of spectacle, the abundance of Alaska just kind of, you know, um, showing off a bit. And and there was whales bubble net feeding and lunging and, and breaching and just kind of everywhere you looked, every single direction. I mean, it was it was probably six or seven foot swell, but uh, you know, so we were sloshing around a bit and, and photographing was fun. Um, 
because you know the whales get lost in the waves right. and then you they you disappear know, right yeah. and and try to try to nail it and you know kind of nail the timing of of being able to see the whale as it as it flukes and and try to identify it and and uh you know so there have been whales that haven't showed up to their usual spots and uh i think that was where they were yeah you know and so uh on the next trip we went out there to the same exact spot dropped a pin on it and went out to the same spot and we we're like oh Never mind. Well, leave it. Leave it to humpback whales to make you feel silly. Um, and so then, from there, um, we went towards Pelican uh, Cross Sound, and they were there, hmm. just at the mouth of Cross Sound. And uh, it was, you know, again one of those beautiful spectacles. And you know, there were even a few killer whales that cruised through, and people were just so in awe um, by observing the humpbacks. They were just like, ah, eh, killer whales, whatever, because um, the humpbacks were so. Um, you know, they're really spectacular. They're, they're gregarious and they're, um, you know, they really kind of show off a bit. Uh, they're better observed than many other whales. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're easier to see, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the impression, I, I haven't spent a lot of time out, out, uh, very little time at all, but at one time did get to come back. Uh, the, when I made a trip to Elfin Cove, we, we went on, the inside as much as possible on the way north it was a little sloppy but on the way back a few days later it was nice enough that we uh we went outside yakobi and we just came down the outside mm-hmm. of yakobi and it was pretty quiet i've been outside yakobi a couple times you know not far offshore but a little ways offshore and and one year there was a lot of shearwaters and puffins mm-hmm. and rhinoceros ocelots and things out there and but this other trip there wasn't wasn't that much mm-hmm. uh, it was just nice you know it was just novel really to be out there and have the weather be you know not not giant waves or anything there's a little bit of a wind chop but sure we weren't in a big boat or anything so uh but it was i get the impression that it's um yeah patchy might be the word and and the patches don't stay in one place i mean maybe if you have an upwelling in a place like the, i think there are, are places where there are these upwellings that seabirds congregate and presumably other other animals as well marine mammals and, and so forth but uh i was a little surprised just going out off out outside the sound here a ways to see sharks swimming at the surface and i'm like well, it's not like we covered a lot of ground and yet we saw three sharks swimming at the surface i'm like they must be all over out here mm-hmm. <laughs> or we got really lucky sure uh so it it's it's kind of mysterious it's not really that far away uh, but it's a whole nother world. And, and when you watch the depth sounder go and then it just like, it goes down, you know, it's kind of gradually going down to 600 feet or so. And then you hit that break and it just, you know, in a relatively short distance, it's down well over a thousand, 2000 feet deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you're out in the pelagic world. So yeah, I can, I can only imagine that it was, uh, yeah, novel to get to go out there and, and be in a, reasonably comfortable boat even if the seas are not flat calm you know mm-hmm. uh and get to see some of the stuff some of the stuff out there so the whales you you saw out there you just saw them one time did you get to go out there throughout the summer or was it pretty concentrated in just part of the summer um we got to go out there several times at least and so we went um you know that first kind of i think that was the third trip or something like that um and that was uh so was, like May, June kind of. Yeah, kind of, yeah, May, June. And then from there, um, those whales moved into Cross Sound. And then we saw them again kind of near Point Adolphus. And they moved, some moved to Glacier Bay. They split off. And so we, we had uh, looked at the fish and, and kind of decided they were probably Ooligan. Hmm. And so um, headed to spawn or something like that, you know. And so, and so they were just kind of in abundance headed in. 
um, similar to the way, you know, herring show up in abundance and spawn. Um, but in a different way, I mean, they were, they were right at the surface and, and kind of doing what they do. Maybe they were feeding too. Um, makes you wonder how the whales find them in that big ocean out, out there. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, it's a, some like birds smell things. Sure. Oh yeah, uh, but I don't know how much of a sense of smell whales whales have. I've wondered about that with some marine mammals before, but sure, uh, I've seen seals acting as though they might be smelling something in the air, and I guess they smell their pups. But mm-hmm. um, but I've wondered if they could smell killer whales because there have been a couple of times Ooh. when I've seen them with their noses up into the wind looking, and then I heard later that there were killer whales in the area around the time that I was kind of observing way in the shallows, you know. Mm-hmm. There was at one time at, at Totem Park, the tide was up. They were they were probably in less than six feet of water hmm. uh, in close, and there were several of them, and the wind was kind of blowing in from Eastern Channel, and they had their noses into the wind. And I heard later there was killer whales out there that day. Uh, you know, I don't know if it was the same time, but I was like, mm, it would definitely be in their interest to be able to smell and, and avoid, you know. I'm sure. Uh, you know, stay in the shallows or whatever if that's if that's a threat. But I don't. I've never had that like officially confirmed by anybody that they're doing that. Sure. I don't know how you would necessarily. Yeah. Uh, but had a test for that. Yeah. But what? it is yeah interesting to just consider the possibilities in that way. I guess and and wonder. Yeah. How are the whales finding these? The, the humpbacks finding them. Maybe are they like sending scouts out and then communicating? I guess they can communicate via fairly long distance vocally. They can. Yeah. So maybe there's. And then, yeah, how do whales communicate direction <laughs> via their... Well, uh, and do a little bee shake. Yeah, there or, you go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of the bee wiggle. And, <laughs> and um, no, it's probably auditory or yeah. uh, behavioral. Um, you know, they make... Um, in Southeast Alaska, they don't tend to sing. They tend to make calls. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, after feeding, they sometimes make yum-yum sounds. You know, oh, that was really good. And I'm sure that... Translates to hey, there's fish over here, yeah. and they're really tasty, um, you know. And, and so they're kind of making these sounds and, and kind of uh, doing their thing as they, um, you know, travel around looking for food. I guess I have questions for the next time I talk to a to a whale physiologist and, and biologist person. Like, how exactly is yeah? yeah. I, I, I spoke with Hans Davison once, and uh, he was he he works mostly with right whales, I think. But he was talking about whale sensory things and and some of the challenges of trying to understand what the what whales what senses whales have basically sure uh, and w- what ones are active and and how they're working so uh, yeah very different world that's just thinking about that i was watching seals at stargaven yesterday there was a couple in the estuary the tide was up and mm-hmm. and i was just sort of like idly considering because I can see the mountains in the background and, and all that. So I have this experience of being on the interface between the, the, the ground, the, the, the water and the air and the land, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a creature of, on the ground of the, of the air. I need the air and, and sort of dip my toes in the water from time to time, but not really any, uh, you know, life in there for me. Like I can't, I sure. can't do much in the water, especially relative to seals. And so to imagine like, Oh, so they're in the water all the time. Like the mountains are meaningless to them. Uh, like, huh. I mean, can they even see the mountains? I don't know how their eyesight works. Like, is that that's probably not even a thing for them? It's it's so outside of relevance, I, I, I guess, for them. And yet, the the eddies and the currents in the water, you, you know, that their their whiskers vibrissy or whatever, um, 
the the term is for them are really sensitive to that they're not being able to find fish in the dark essentially even when the 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 water is so cloudy or, or murky that they can't see they can still somehow they're sensing and i don't know if they have some sense of like some uh, marine uh, organisms have the ability to sense electrical fields and mm-hmm. and so there's i don't know what all that but then how does that all translate into uh you know that qualitative experience of 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 experiencing things like you know that qualia i guess and and just mm. sort of like you know what does it mean to have that experience of being able to move around in in three dimensions in ways that i i i can't really you know you can do a little bit of it swimming and if you get into sort of some types of you know flying then maybe you skydiving you know, or something yeah you get a little bit of that in in the sky but but yeah for the most part i'm a two-dimensional creature uh, you know i move around in two dimensions uh, on the surface of things whereas seals are you know making use of this third dimension much more so than i am so that must affect how they perceive things and, and just like how the world seems to them uh, which you know i don't know it's it's kind of an interesting exercise just to just to idly consider because it is for me i think it's easy to just default to well everything experiences the world like i experience it because that's all i know sure. uh, but to remind myself that no i mean these other animals have very different experiences of, of what the world is like than I do. And it's probably worth trying to at least remind myself of that and have a sense of, I, I actually don't know what it's like and sure. sort of invite a sense of humility, I guess, around that. Absolutely. You know, I've, I found myself like trying to be uh, thinking about, well, I haven't, I haven't, you know, tourism in 2020 was in the tank. And so you come back to 2021 and, and, you know, something you haven't talked about that, you know, for this whole season in 2021, somebody asks a question, you're like, oh yeah, I used to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and you, you brings up this, this kind of memory of, of things and, and how different animals see the world or experience the world, especially, I mean, you talk about seals, their version of up is very different from that of ours. You know, of course they know the, the air is up, but They'll oftentimes turn upside down and look down with their head um, into the water mm. and keep their nose up above. Um, you know, it's a great example is in Ketchikan um, at uh, at the creek there at Steep Creek, and you know they'll they'll just kind of be upside down, floating there, looking for fish. And then when they decide it's worth it, boom, they're do- they're done, and they'll go chase that fish and and go catch it. And uh, so they they're able to see underwater while having their nose and able to breathe essentially mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i mean I, now that you mention that this seems very sensible sure yeah <laughs> you know they, they sometimes they call uh, humpback whales forehead breathers mm. you know because their nose is traveled evolutionarily backwards you know uh, to the top of their head and uh you know you start to look at seals in general and then the ability for them to be able to to find food um some of the things that i've heard and I tend to share is that they've uh They've had captive seals, and they can put blinders and ear cups on a seal, and it doesn't need to be able to see or hear in order to catch a fish. They'll put two fish in a tank, and then put the seal in the tank, one big fish and one little fish, and it catches the bigger bigger fish every single time. Hmm. Um, they say that they can feel the current of a, of a fish swimming by uh, 30 seconds after it's passed. They can feel that, the, the swishing back and forth of the tail of a fish through their whiskers and decide whether it's worth the caloric uh, output to chase it and so their efficiency is incredible too um they can control their heart rates and, and things like that and and uh another thought is that um they are you know some of the uh, some of the seals in southeast alaska specifically are born near glaciers on ice and so we get to experience that in uh, tracy arm 
specifically, um, as opposed to Glacier Bay. Glacier Bay closes off the bay that is um, the highest seal population um, in Glacier Bay and uh, Johns Hopkins. And so they close that off for part of the summer um, to protect seals and their pupping period because um, it's fairly delicate. And so they have to, um, you know, feed, feed, feed. And then um, they wean it about four to six weeks. And then, boom, figure it out. You're a seal. Um, <laughs> what? And so there's lots of awkward juvenile pups figuring things out. And so, um, you know, one of the things that they tend to target to start with is something a little slower moving than fish is shrimp. Um, found near glaciers, very deep water. And um, and that they, uh, you know, people oftentimes feel bad for seals. They're sitting there on the ice and their experience, oh, it's cold out here. Yeah, glaciers yeah. are cold. Right. Um, and so they f- feel bad. for. Oh, they must be freezing. No, absolutely not. This is their home. This is their house. They choose to be here. And so if they didn't have everything they need, they would leave. And so there was uh, a fantastic study done um, in the early, uh, was it, uh, 2010s and uh they put uh critter cams on seals and so they had little helmets and backpacks with cameras and uh you know they wanted to figure out whether the there was enough forage for seals in these fjords for them to be able to be successful and they found that yes absolutely there is and so oftentimes mostly flatfish Mm. um so sole um small halibut and and things like that 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 they're abundant there and um a big part of a juvenile seal's diet is shrimp. Hmm. And so their experience of, of just kind of exploring their world with ice in it is, is kind of, uh, you know, I think the water was 34 degrees, 36 degrees. So freezing cold, um, but it's got everything a seal needs, you know, and a crash, bang, boom. Um, I'm pretty sure their eyesight's pretty good um, because, you know, when we show up in our little boat, they recognize the boat and they say, oh, that's not ice. I'm scared, you know, and they mm-hmm. respond, you know, they pick their heads up and kind of start to stress and, and, uh, you know, our, our job as people is to, to allow them to be seals. And so we try to try to give them enough space to be, to be seals. We don't want to bother them, um, you know, and following the rules and, uh, making sure that they are able to be wild animals in their wild space as we visit. And, uh, yeah, so there, that, uh, it's a really cool thought to think about that is, is how do they experience the world? Yeah. Um, very different from that of ours. It's like, how does your dog experience the world? Very different from that yeah. of ours. Even, even if it's, um, you know, something, you know, like a, the tiniest little lap dog, they can smell way better than we can. They can smell history. Um, they can smell who was there as opposed to um, us, which is which much more present. You know, yeah. it's like, well, something stinks. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and, a, and a dog says, oh, I know that smell. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and tends to go roll and, right. <laughs> and smells that uh, are uh, that might might smell delicious to uh, fragrance, right? Yeah. Um, Good fragrance, right? You know, uh. and so you know, I, I was um, when I was in Anchorage, there was um, you know, I had a, a Pomeranian, and so they're not especially well known for being able to smell very well, um, but she would find um, moose droppings and just loved to roll in them. <laughs> that was her favorite. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and in that hair, I suppose. Yes. It, yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. And so thankfully it was mostly frozen. Yeah. Um, during the winter. And, and so she'd go roll around and, and nothing oh, even would transfer. Frozen. Yeah. yeah. Nothing would transfer is good. Well, it's, I read a book or I think I listened to the audio book a while back that was, I don't remember the name of it, but the, the person that was talking was talking about the way that our, our, our brains are set up to be, um, 
take inputs because because all of our senses are essentially are, are elec- electrical impulses through our nerves. Sure. Uh, or you know we have sense organs, our touch, our sight, you know, our hearing, but all that is physical phenomena, light waves, or you know, air pressure changes that are translated into these pulses. And so the brain is just receiving electrical pulses through nerve stimulation, sure. you know, through the nerves. Yeah. And then it's making sense of that. And it's, in a very real way, creating the world that we experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, I experience this you as being out there in some ways, but but really my experience is all in inside. There are physical aspects of of what it is, the, vo- the, the, the light reflected off of you, the sounds and all of that that are, that are coming. But then my, my mind creates a projection of out there for all of this stuff in this way. And there isn't any reason to assume, I guess, that other creatures make the same sorts of, I think as humans, we have a pretty similar, you know, we, we can't guarantee that we know, but we have a pretty similar thing. But the thing that was especially intriguing to me was um, this guy was saying, if you can hook up, you you can basically give yourself different senses um, hmm. by by hooking up, uh, you, you know, by creating your own sensory apparatus and creating a way in which it's communicating to your mind, uh, to your brain uh, through your existing senses. So, for example, if you uh, one of the things I've wanted to try but I haven't haven't built is is you could make a belt that vibrates. Uh, you know, has vibrating, little vibrating things like it's on your phone or something, mm-hmm. but all the way around the belt, and it always is vibrating in the direction of north. So as you turn, essentially north is always signaled to you via this vibration on your skin in the belt. Whoa. And so what you would what you would do is your brain would would recognize that's a signal that's meaningful. Sure. And then it would incorporate that into its sense of the world, essentially, in a way that, you know, and and there is some question as to whether people have an innate sense of, you know, magnetic sense or whatever that that is just so ignored in in modern culture. We don't need it, and so we don't have any real, we we don't develop it, but there are some cultures where that's been much more, and and the the way that it's been described is that you, you, from a couple different places I've heard people describe, what you get this experience of is a map view, like like mm. you know the moder- where, where if you look on a GPS and you see yourself as the red dot sure. in the middle on the map, you actually get that just from, you, you know, you you begin to have that experience as part of your experience. Not I'm looking at this phone, but I can actually see myself in in the map of this area, and and part huh. of that's related to absolute orientation. With so you can sort of develop for yourself these different senses that your brain is just looking for signals to make sense of, and so. I've 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 wondered about that, you know, it'd be fun to play around with that. Maybe I'm not enough of a of a makerspace tinkerer, you know, to to build my own own things, but I I thought it would be kind of curious and and maybe in some ways you could you know, you still aren't going to know what what an animal experiences, sure. you know, with their senses, but yeah. there might be ways to sort of widen the space of of possibility of of how it is that you know, we can experience the world and and uh, to me it's it's kind of just fascinating to think about cuz it is you know, we just take it for granted for the most part, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, if you really start to dig into it, it's like, well, this is all kind of really crazy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> all these different things that the animals are doing. And, and yeah, the seals. And I didn't know that, you know, it's it's fascinating to to think about. I mean, I see when a whale dives, you know, the, the footprint comes up and it's 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 that churn of the water just sort of surfacing for, you know, 
many seconds afterwards sure. uh, and sometimes for quite a while. I don't know. Some of that might be the, the sort of organic oils and stuff that are on the surface left afterwards. I don't know. That might be part of it as well. But, um, but to think of that for the, something like a fish and, and the way that that current and then to be able to inter- interpret that current because it's propagating out through the water. You know, mm-hmm. it's not staying in one place. So to then have a sense of, of that space, like I can almost sort of imagine that I could imagine that uh that that what that might be like but but to really be able to just know like like it isn't even a i need to calculate this it's like i know there's a fish over there right um and you don't even need to break it down Uh, yeah it's kind of a yeah was scientifically there's so many factors involved i think it's really Mm -hmm. hard it'd be really hard to to kind of attempt to even observe yeah um you know so so i mean the idea of, of, you know, kind of lab science and naturalist science becomes kind of this, you know, the old school naturalist science becomes a little more, you know, it's observational behavior as opposed to kind of clinical observation behavior, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, it's in observing wild animals in wild places as opposed to observing wild animals in human spaces. You right. Know? Um, you know, to be able to observe those places and kind of recognize how an animal perceives something is would be a, a really neat experience but i mean you start to look at um i think they were doing something with kind of feed flow in in uh in frederick sound near five finger lighthouse and i heard they were have to having to go through and current map the entire sound oh wow and so just to kind of go through and just to start with you know just to get an idea of where food might flow to um, and then from there you start to, I mean, just kind of, it is such an immense project to even consider, um, to go through that and, and, you know, where are the eddies, where is the, you know, the backflow or, or, you know, the tidally is affected and the tides change and all this stuff. And so it's just, I mean, it's a hard thing to think about to even consider, um, how, you know, food moves through an area and how an, a whale perceives that, um, you know, it's a really kind of neat thought to uh to think yeah. about it is it's <laughs> well and i i noticed you know seasonally here there's a shift in the light as we get into september and it starts feeling like reminding me of fall i've noticed that earlier well not that we've had a lot of sunlight this september but uh <laughs> sure. i've noticed it a couple of times i'm like it just has and the leaves are still on the trees and stuff so it's not but it was just this feeling in the light and and just sort of the time of the year and i think it had to do with the angle of the light but i'm not sure and so mm-hmm. I kind of wonder, you know, using that as an analogy for, for whale, you know, creatures of the sea, essentially where tides and, and cycles of the moon and all of this and season all are interacting in ways that are more, uh, probably more significant uh, than, than my sort of daily routines are, you know, mm-hmm. um, with respect to finding food and that sort of thing. The grocery store is open. I need to tra- well, yeah. keep track of sunlight, but that's, you know, is it, is it daytime or is it after, oh no, it's 24 hour grocery store. So right. I can get food whenever, but uh, yeah, the, um, for them, like, like, is there this, set, you know, recognition of, oh, this is like this. So therefore, you know, I, these certain things are, are going to, be in these certain places, you know, just kind of this, this more holistic recognition of, of these patterns of, of yeah, tide and, mm-hmm. and the way that's interacting with the moon. And I honestly, I don't know, like, cause the tides change with the moon, but how much are they aware of the moon per se as sure. a thing? Right. Or is it, is it strictly, uh, strictly just the tides are doing this thing? Yeah. I mean, just yeah. the perception of all of these rhythms and ways that we have connections with the sun and the moon and so forth. And I imagine there are, 
aware of daylight and, mm-hmm. and nighttime and maybe full moons or not, but I don't know. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, interesting to consider what might be influencing or, or uh, um, allowing them to key in on, on resources at certain times. Sure. Um, well, I mean, sometimes the, the krill will rise during the, during the end of the day. Mm-hmm. As, it, as night falls, they'll rise up to the surface. And so, you know, it's, it's, they tend to do that anyway. And then from there, there's things that follow them, and the whales do too. And so there was, um, you know, kind of an oddity um, in Frederick Sound where many of our, our boats uh, tend to see whales around Five Finger Lighthouse. Um, there wasn't, really. There was a small handful. Um, but the year before, there was probably, you know, 100 whales easily. Mm. And, and so the nutrient flow of things, is, it was, uh, you know, how, how are they going to find things if things change, too? Um, because normally if they, you know, I like to, I like to say, um, you know, mom takes her calf to her favorite grocery store, um, you know, from, from Hawaii and comes to feed here in Alaska. And so she goes to her favorite grocery store, but if the shelves are empty... She doesn't just hang out at her favorite grocery store with empty shelves. She goes to find another grocery store um, to, to feed her calf and herself. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, you start to look at, at uh, their pattern observation and how sensitive they are to uh, specific things, to, to expect things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, not, not only whales, but, but uh, birds specifically. You start to think about their kind of tenuous migrations. Um, I was watching a um, a small sandpiper on the beach at Sandy Beach um, this spring and watching this one little bird. And so you start to look at this one little bird and and you start to, I, mean, I was just thinking about it and you say, you say to yourself, well, that that little bird has traveled for thousands of miles to be right there on that little beach, hoping to hope that there's enough food for it to stop over, you know, on its little, its little stopover in Sitka, this little bird. Um, to get enough bloodworms or whatever it eats specifically, you know, um, you know, little, little detritus or little bugs or, you know, ocean things. Um, you know, if there's enough of that, it can make its migration. But if it shows up at that beach and there's not enough of that one thing or that, if, you know, if it's specific, if that one little thing, it makes it, it makes it very delicate. And so, um, and even so we, we love to see the charismatic megafauna. Um, but things like, um, you know, crow populations or, or, um, you know, herring populations in Sitka Sound. Um, if there's, uh, a change in behavior of those things or a behavior, uh, or abundance, um, or, or just kind of, uh, you know, changes in water temperature that they don't, they respond negatively to, um, those little fish, then the whales will have to figure out something else. And, you know, honestly, thankfully, um, uh, whales are flexible, and their consumption, they'll eat krill, they'll eat fish and even young salmon, <laughs> um, you know, over uh, hanging out in front of men of EG hatchery. And, uh, and so, you know, there are some whales that have kind of figured that out and we'll, we'll, we'll eat those too, but it's, it's kind of, you start to look at, at their sensitivities and how, if you look at how they understand the world and how they might respond to a change in that world, um, some of them may not be very successful. Yeah. So it is, yeah. It's interesting that you saw the saw the whales out offshore, uh, surprisingly, and then and then weren't seeing them so much in Frederick Sound. Did they show end up showing up later? Or? They did, yeah. yeah. So they showed up. Um, let's see. So my season finished up uh, September third, and they showed up late August. 
Okay. And it was it was kind of a big celebration because it was like this late August and it was kind of stormy out and we were coming back through Frederick Sound and and uh, just outside of Cake, there was. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. A hundred whales out there, and there was uh, shearwaters uh, out there feeding. Um, and then not only that, there were also like Cason's auklets that that came in, and it was so it was, it was kind of like a a fall event. But the whales finally showed up, and they were boom, there they are, mm. you know. And we were just you know we had opportunities to observe whales, you know, breaching twenty times, and, oh, wow. and it's like you know you can get nice photographs that way because. You know, the first one you're usually going to miss, and the second one may not be so good, but maybe number three. Um, and so it's it's a real um, it was a real kind of uh, oh there 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 you are. Yeah. I mean, so you know, you get this thing in your mind. It's like, well, where are all the whales? Did they, they didn't all they didn't all starve? Did they? I mean, what what's happening here? I mean, and so you finally have them arrive, and it's kind of oh okay, all right, it's a, it's going to be all right. It's an interesting, it reminds me of, of one of the things that I like to do each year is, is I, I like to call it renewing acquaintances sure. <laughs> with lots of different things, you know, not just the whales, but each year, uh, especially the seasonal things that are only, you know, the flowers that are only out for, I, I like to make an effort to go see them each year. And there's kind of a, uh, yeah, sometimes, sometimes with some things, there's a variation, they're late or that, you know, the weather is such that, that it's just doesn't happen that year or whatever you know and so then the year after that you know when you've had this delay it's like oh it's extra nice to see you <laughs> yes uh and, yeah. and it's kind of like a you know visiting long uh, you know longtime friends that you haven't seen in a while or it's kind of that that feeling which which i, I appreciate and and try to cultivate i guess and kind of get that sense with the folks have that especially folks like yourself who are you know used to visiting them every year at sure. some level uh, not that you're stopping and, and shaking hands or anything, but uh, but to see them there in this place, this familiar time and place, and and kind of have that awareness that there's a certain uh, yeah a family friends kind of uh, experience that 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 we get whether or not the whales experience that you know seems seems <laughs> one could probably argue both ways, but uh, uh, but we certainly many of us I guess seem to have that experience of, of like oh it's uh, it's uh, it's an old friend nice to see you again sure uh, which is kind of fun I did have one question that's sort of off the blue but I was just thinking of this yesterday and you, you were because um, uh, I was I was thinking about oh because I was editing some photos of killer whales and then I remembered seeing killer whales offshore uh, this this year and then I thought about the weather offshore and I'm like it gets pretty snarly out there mm-hmm. and whales need to come to the surface to breathe sure and in like that serious super serious weather like how easy is that to to not get a you know a, a lung full of lungs full of water essentially in in this stormy sloppy sloppy conditions out there when you're looking at 30 foot seas and and all of that and these and these whales marine mammals that need to I mean birds presumably just fly up into the air Sure. Um, but the uh, but the marine mammals they're uh, like they need to be at the surface and the surface is not a not a stable place. <laughs> sure, <It keeps laughs> in those moving. conditions. Yeah. So I don't know if if you're. I mean, I'm just I'm just kind of curious about that. And presumably mm. they've got it figured out. Uh, otherwise they wouldn't stay out there. But uh, right. But it's interesting to think like how is it that they are managed to come to the surface and when I see the humpback whales like it's easy and calm water and even in. Rel- you know, in chop or whatever, they're big enough. Sure. But like in serious seas, yeah. Uh, I wonder what that's like for them. Well, I, I wonder. Yeah, that's 
I've I've seen them. They'll sometimes punch through a wave mm-hmm. and breathe there. And so you know you see uh, you, the little ones are coming to the surface quite a bit more than the adults. And and as uh, so far as killer whales go, um, we were out off of uh, uh, we were off of Latuya Bay, and there was probably. 10 or 12 killer whales out there and we were just kind of you know milling around observing and it was uh probably fours and fives maybe a six or two um out there swell and with a little bit of chop on it and they were having no problem at all yeah um but i mean in a gale or something or a storm proper it would be um it might be a challenge yeah and uh you know one of the thoughts is is uh you know they just have to just deal you know they might poke inside if they have to. There's bays and all kinds of stuff for them to, to kind of tuck into if they need it. But I don't think they have to. Yeah. They're, you know, you think about, you know, something is, is you know, like a puffin. So they, they're pelagic birds. They're ocean birds. And so you go out and there. And they're all winter, yeah. Yeah, and they just stay out. And they're there with their mate. And so they stay with, you know, in marble merlets, they stay right next to their mate. They're calling to each other constantly. You know, you can imagine over the wind, it's like, kew, kew, back and forth, like, hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm here. You know, it's just kind of, um, they just kind of call back and forth to each other and and stay there um, and then dive under the water. Yeah. Um, yeah, for some reason, I uh, with those at the surface, like it's easier for me to imagine them, especially at their size being small enough that they're just kind of they're on the surface and then they can dive below a wave, but then they stay at the surface. Sure. And I guess whales, like it's harder for me to think about whales staying at the surface in the same way. Sure. Um, but it is, yeah. I mean, obviously they do fine. There's any number of spe- species of whales that are pretty much strictly pelagic. Uh, so they're clearly, I, I can't imagine that they're outrunning you know, storms. So they're, yeah. they're pretty much just dealing, dealing with it. Yeah. Um, but again, I guess that gets back to the, what is it like for animals in those? Like, do they even care? Is that just a sort of not even a big deal to them? I mean, under the water, I imagine it's pretty much the same. Like I, I imagine there's a bit that translates down, but the roughness is mostly a surface effect. I would sure, think. Sure. It is. Yeah. So, well, yeah. a big, a big whale, like, you know, we see fin whales out there. We saw a few and, uh, you know, it's at like what, 80 feet, 85 feet or something like that. They're, yeah. They're bigger than the waves usually could get. Um, right. You know, at 30 feet, they just kind of, it's a little more sloppy in the bathtub today. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's its hard to say. It really is. Um, there's got to be a lot of extra noise there, too. Hmm. And if you're an auditory animal to to find extra food and the waves and the water and all that stuff, its it's got to be pretty, pretty intense. And, yeah. Well, and I guess it just yeah brings it brings back the question of like what is the experience of there's uh, you know Richard Nelson did a encounters program where he's like up in a tree in the wind and, and <laughs> maybe maybe he did more than one about storms but but I think he had a he he enjoyed uh, fierce weather to a, to a certain extent you know sure. which which I do as well like I don't, I don't want to be out in I, I've I've wondered what would it be like out there I don't want to be in it for real like but if I could somehow be a hologram of myself experiencing it or, or sure. you know in this in this bubble somehow out there uh, where I'm just sort of floating above and seeing it or you know maybe going out to an exposed outer cape in advance of a storm and just sort of like watching from from there. Uh, you know, all of those things have intrigued me just to kind of get a sense of that. But then, yeah, what's it like for uh, like the the animals or or you know people that were uh, you know people that are really into the water in much ways ways that I aren't you know like the 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 hardcore 
sea kayakers, you know, open ocean sea kayaking type things and, or folks that, that made their living on the, on the water, like the, um, the Aleut people in, in Western Alaska and the Aleutians where it's like, that's what they did, you know? Sure. Uh, and, and so the, the sort of the, the sense of, and the ability to navigate and, and be with, uh, you know, things that are well outside. And in the cold is like that too, you know, you were describing people with like, so seals must be freezing. Well, no, that's their home. And there's a lot of people that live in cold climates that are like, no, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. Um, folks from up North coming yeah. down in a t-shirt. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you put me in uh, you put me in 90 and I'm like, uh, I'm done. Yeah. This is, this is not good. Uh, right. but there are plenty of people for whom that's, that's, uh, you know, that's starting to get to sweater weather, you know, sure. get down a few more degrees, 85, we need to put on a long sleeve shirt. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, um, we're headed into the winter season here and any, any particular things that you're thinking about trying to, to observe or, or pay attention to? Well, I need to get up you know, we went up Harbor Mountain and uh, we didn't find any alpine blueberries at all. No, I think it was so a, such was a bummer a of a, a, really, the late snow. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, didn't, I was noticing that as well. I was up there and I was like, yeah, no blueberries this year. It's something know. I tend to look forward to. But, um, you know, generally um, observing birds that flow through, yeah. um, finding a nice sunset or, or something like that. And, and uh, you know, it's at a certain point I was thinking about buying a boat, but it's like, mm, I don't know about this boat thing. And, and you know, the added extra expense. Do I, would I rather take in a really nice vacation or have a boat that I have to keep paying for? Yeah. Um, it's a really, you know, it's a... It's Trade-offs. A, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> could be hit or miss. Who knows? Um, and so, you know, just, just kind of enjoying enjoying the fall. Um, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about, you know, it's like oftentimes it's like, oh, man, fall. You know, that's, that tends to be sticking in people's minds sometimes. But it's like, um, we had a really nice quote the other day. It was, it's where... Fall is the friend that's been waiting for you all summer to share the stories that you've you've you know and the things you've seen and the things you've experienced, and so you can you can kind of fall will always be there after you know you know before winter and and after summer in order to kind of welcome you home and so that for me tourism is over and uh, you know it's kind of like welcome home and uh, you know spending time walking the dog in the woods and looking for a bear or two and, and, uh, kind of seeing the animals that flow through the space and, um, you know, kind of wondering how well the fish are going to do and, and things like that. And, um, you know, just keep observing and, uh, um, yeah, get in there once the, once the plankton dies off to get in the water again, mm. um, to go for a swim. And I got a new, a new dive housing and, and, uh, ready to, ready to get out there and, and photograph something down there. Nice. Yeah. I know you've taken a lot of photos and you're, you know, posting some of them from the summer onto your social media accounts. Sure. People want to find you there and, and, uh, it's a three waves photo. Is that, yes. is that right? Yeah. On Instagram. And, yeah. and then you also have a website. Is yeah. it three waves Three waves And I think it's three waves pro on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Three waves pro on yeah. Instagram. And so I'll put links to, to those, uh, when I post the, post this conversation on my website, but yeah, appreciate yeah. you coming in and, uh, yeah, happy to talk and look forward to visiting again some point in the future and hearing what further adventures have accumulated. Yeah, it's been fun. You've been listening to a conversation I recorded just a couple of days ago with Simon Hook. I want to thank him for taking some time to visit with me and thank you for joining me here on the Sitka Nature Show this week. As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com or get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. Until next time, this has been Matt on the Sitka Nature Show, KCAW Sitka.